Hello, everybody. Welcome to church. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Stand on up. We're going to praise God for what he has done for us, for all the joy that you can muster today. You got a lot of joy? Give me some joy, right?
Are you ready to praise God for what he has done? He, we have been forgiven of so much to make sure that we are able to give this forgiveness to everybody in our life. You ready to do that? I hope so. I hope that we don't abuse the grace that God gives to us. It's just so easy because every day we keep going back to him over and over again. Give me grace, give me grace, give me grace. Let's give it to everybody in our lives.
Good morning. My name is Jordan. We are so excited that you guys have decided to join us this morning here at Capital City Christian Church. And I am very excited that it is finally, officially, indisputably, Christmas season. Right? Can I get an amen? I mean, I know some of y'all say that it doesn't start officially until after Thanksgiving. So I ask you, is it okay with you if we celebrate now? Is that all right? Okay. No? We still have a December 1st down here, Grinch? Oh, my gosh. I have been listening to Christmas music since November 1st, just so you know. But it is now, in my opinion, officially Christmas season. So Merry Christmas. Welcome to Capital City Christian Church. We do have a couple of things we want to make you guys aware of, though, before we go any further in the service. So first of all, if you are a senior, we're having a very special event for you next week on Thursday at noon. Our Oasis Luncheon will be happening. And this is uh, not your everyday average Oasis Luncheon. In fact, we're going to have tablecloths. We're going to have some special Christmas stuff. Uh, down in the Family Life Center. So if you would like to attend, because it is so special, we're going to require an RSVP. That stands for Responde s'il vous plaît. In other words, let us know that you're coming. Okay? And the way you can do that is by letting Vern know. You can text him, you can call him, you can email him, you can find him in the lobby. Let him know that you're attending, and we want to make sure that you get the uh, opportunity to attend that very special event. One way that you can do that is by downloading the church Center app. If you haven't done this yet, this is a way that we stay connected here at Capital City. You can find out about the Oasis Lunch and all the other events that's taking place here. You can find out what we're having for dinner on Wednesday nights. You can find out who's preaching. I'm just kidding. We don't really post that because we don't want to manipulate our numbers that way. It was a joke, okay? I didn't say which way it would go. Gosh. All right, but in all seriousness, do download that app. If you get the chance, you can stay up to date on what's going on here. And finally, if you've been with us for any portion of 2023, you guys know that we have had this campaign going all year, our 12,000 nudge campaign, okay? We're trying to nudge throughout the year 12,000 people a little bit closer to Jesus. And we're doing that every single month. We have a different uh, theme. We have a different nudge that we're doing. This month, the month of Thanksgiving, the month of gratitude, we're just doing thank you notes. You've got to know somebody or somebody, several probably, in your life that you would love to express some gratitude to. So we're making this really easy on you. All you got to do, if you haven't already, on your way out, grab one of the notes in the back corner of the lobby over here. We've got notes, we've got cards, we've got envelopes. Uh, find somebody that, you, uh, that has had an impact on your life. Express to them in writing briefly how much you appreciate them. Let them know that we have a bunch of people over here at Capital City that appreciate them, and that can have an enormous impact on somebody's life. You know, in, in the book of Luke, Jesus healed 12 lepers, 12 men affected with this debilitating disease. And the amazing part of that story is not the, the miracle that took place, that's one part of it, but only one of those 10 people came back to thank Jesus for healing them of this life-changing disease. So when you express gratitude, when you express thankfulness to somebody, it can have an enormous impact. You can stand out in their life. So make sure to do that here before the end of the month, okay? I want you to make sure you're aware of that. Now back to Thanksgiving. You know, we're still in Thanksgiving week, technically. Some of you guys probably have Thanksgiving meals you're going to attend today. I have one. But I have a confession to make. And this is going to get me in trouble with um, my wife, my mom, my mother-in-law, most of the ladies in this church, and probably many of the men. But I don't care for Thanksgiving food. I just don't. Yeah, crazy. But you guys act like I'm crazy. You're casting judgment on me. I feel it. But you don't either, by and large, okay? And I can prove this to you. Okay? If we all, as a society, love Thanksgiving food as much as we act like we do, we'd eat it more than one day a year. Okay? And when's the last time you just had a craving in the middle of April for turkey and dressing and stuffing, whatever that is, and cranberry sauce? Okay? And if, if we loved it, they'd serve it at restaurants. Right? When's the last time you went to a restaurant and said, how are, how are your deviled eggs? I'd really like some of those. 
doesn't happen. You know what we do eat a lot? Pizza, hamburgers, steaks. That's the stuff we really like. I'm sensing a little bit of frustration here, okay? All right. That's because I'm making you recognize the truth. And it's okay, all right? The problem for me, though, is I don't hide it well. So, like, you know, after they serve me the, the turkey and the dressing, they're like, how is it? Oh, it's so, it's so good. It's so good. All right. As you can tell, I am a little bit hard to get along with, particularly on Thanksgiving, all right? I'm willing to admit that. I require forgiveness, all right? And so to lighten the mood a little bit, we're going to play a little game. Get your blood pumping a little more. Let's illustrate this a little bit more. We're going to play a game. How many of you guys enjoy Family Feud on television? Yeah, one of my favorites, okay? Well, we're going to do an abbreviated version of that game right now, okay? Now, it's not going to be traditional Family Feud, a little bit different. We're going to have to move quickly. Um, and typically, you know, to find the answers in Family Feud, they have surveyed 100 people. And then the answers are on the board, and you try to find the most popular answer. In this case, Steve set this up. He has a lot on his plate, metaphorically and Thanksgiving-wise. He did not have time to survey 100 people. He surveyed one, and that one person was me. Okay? So you're going to try to figure out what my answers were to these Thanksgiving-themed Family Feud surveys. Okay? All right. So let's see the first question on the board if we can. Okay, I'm going to survey the audience. Somebody shout something out. Name something the person making Thanksgiving dinner might stress about. The food. Food, turkey. All right, I heard, I heard turkey over here, so we're going to go with that first. Answer, ah, incorrect. That was not what the survey said. The survey actually said pleasing everyone, okay? Mainly me, okay? It's impossible to please me with Thanksgiving dinner, as we have already discussed. Question number two, please. Name an activity that you do on Thanksgiving Day besides eating. Remember, these are my answers. What are you saying? Sleep? That's a great answer. Survey said, ah. The actual answer is not sleeping. It is watching football, right? Why are the Lions always playing? Does anyone actually root for the Lions? Question number three. Name a word that rhymes with turkey. Let's go over here. Tur turkey does not rhyme with turkey. It is turkey. Jerky. I heard jerky. Survey says, correct. Very well done. All right, the next one. Name the best way to cook a turkey. This is indisputable. Light it on fire? All right, I heard bake right back here. Survey says, Arr. the actual best way to cook a turkey is to deep fry it. It's also fairly dangerous, which adds a bit of intrigue. All right, the next question. I think this is number five. Name the best pie to eat at Thanksgiving. Yes, I know. Pumpkin, pumpkin, pumpkin. Ah, the actual answer is apple. It's science. You can't argue with science. All right, and the final question of our Thanksgiving-themed name the one person at Thanksgiving who needs the most grace. Jesus doesn't need grace. He gives grace. The actual, oh, I heard it right here. Jesus doesn't need grace, but you know who does the most? Me. That's right. As you can see, I don't like Thanksgiving food. I'm hard to please. Can you imagine being part of my family, or worse yet, married to me? How much grace does that require? How much forgiveness does that require? And guys, forgiveness is what we're going to be talking about today, and it is, gosh, it's a foreign concept to us as humans. It's a foreign concept to the world. When Jesus introduced this concept to his disciples, they couldn't even get it. It's so foreign to us as humans, but it's so integral to our lives as Christians. We're going to talk more about that here in just a little bit. In the meantime, I'm going to start this video right now.
I need to correct a couple of the things that Jordan said. They're almost unforgivable. Christmas season doesn't start until the week of Christmas, okay? (laughs) Otherwise, I'd have to start wearing my Grinch stuff now. And the other thing that I needed to correct is that uh, Ben's preaching next week, so if you need to skip out, next week's the week to do it. (laughs) So... There's a website that poses some really weird questions, and here's the question that caught my eye. What's the longest fight you've ever had with your significant other? How about you? What's the longest fight you've ever had with your husband, wife, parent, kid, someone else you're supposed to love? Would you measure it minutes, hours, days maybe, or would you go to weeks, months, or years? Be honest. There were a couple of answers on the website that I found kind of interesting. One lady says, when I was married, I think the longest fight we ever had lasted at least a month. It actually took a day or two before I realized we were having a fight. He stopped talking to me, and I didn't notice right away. (laughs) And then when he refused to tell me what was bugging him and started talking through the kids, ever done that, I decided that I kind of liked the silence. So I just decided to see how long he could hold on to the snit. Took him about a month to decide that he'd punished me enough. Apparently, he hadn't, I hadn't thanked him enough for helping me with the dishes one day. <laughs> Have you guys ever been there, done anything like that? Another lady responded with this. She says, I get the silent treatment too. The longest time was about six months. That's unusual for us. Usually, it's a few days to a week. And every once in a while, it dawns on me that he's not speaking to me for some daggone reason. That's my interpretation. And one more. We're going on about four years now. Fun and games, let me tell you. I bet some of you guys have been there, done something like that. And have you ever noticed how so many of our fights are over the silliest, littlest things? Really stupid stuff. Good Housekeeping had an article describing 30 silly fights that they say every couple has had at least once. Maybe not every couple, but... We do fight over the stupidest stuff, right? How about whether or not to read the directions? Any of you guys ever buy something that has to be put together and (laughs) your wife wants you to read the directions and you don't? And one of you gets annoyed? How about the thermostat? How many of you guys have ever fought over the thermostat? If not, give it time because you will. How about taking off your shoes and socks and just leaving them wherever? Ever caused annoyance at your house? It has it mine. How about tussling over the TV remote or closed captions? I like closed captions. My family does not. How about walking speed? You ever get mad because he or she walks too fast, almost like it's a race? It becomes annoying. Or how about where to spend the holidays? Any fights over that? Any of that lingering still now? And we have this remarkable capacity to turn the silliest little fight into a war, right? Sometimes novelists are kind of like peeking through our windows. One novelist portrayed a marriage that disintegrated over a bar of soap. See, it was the wife's job to keep the bathroom stocked, towels, toilet paper, soap, and one day she forgot the soap, and he's kind of like, I've been bathing for a week without soap. Bit of a stretch. And although she had forgotten, he had wounded her pride. So for the next seven months, they slept in separate rooms and ate in silence. 
you've been married for quite a while, I suspect you might understand. It might have been in, not have been soap, but I'll bet you have slept on the couch or ate a meal in silence over something so trivial that you'd be embarrassed to admit what it was. And, he says, even when they were old, they were careful about bringing up the soap because barely healed wounds could begin to bleed as if they'd only been inflicted yesterday. Look at a bar of soap ruin a marriage. Well, maybe because neither partner was willing to ask for or offer forgiveness. Another novelist told the story about a guy who spent the last decades of his marriage sleeping down the hall from his wife. Thirty years earlier, a rift had opened over whether or not he had shown enough concern for one of his sick kids. And now neither one was willing to make the first move. So every night... He waited for her to approach him, and she never came. And every night, she lay awake waiting for him to approach her, and he never came. And neither would break the cycle. Neither would apologize. Neither would forgive. Guys, I'm going to say some things this morning that are very, very counterintuitive and very, very countercultural. In fact, I think they're going to sound weird to our muddled little minds. And bottom line, it's going to boil down to this. Is there a God, a big G creator God, a God who is infinitely powerful, infinitely smart, and perfectly good, the God revealed in and through Jesus? If there is no God, then guys, what I'm going to say this morning, you should just blow off. Doesn't matter. If there is a God... I think you need to lean in, even if you're not a Jesus follower yet. Because this big G God invented marriage, this coupling of a man and a woman till death do us part, because our creator, our designer, thinks that model works best. He thinks it'll work best for your spouse, your kids, your clan, your community. Our designer, our creator, thinks it'll work best for you. He thinks that it will help grow you into what you were meant to be if, if you do it his way. And guys, doing it his way is flat out hard. I mean, God tells us about a kind of love that will make it work, and it's a tough kind of love. The kind of love that will make it work, he says, is patient and kind, and both of those can get hard. He said this kind of love... Love that works is not jealous, it's not boastful, it's not proud, it's not rude. And every one of those can be hard, right? The kind of love that works does not demand its own ways. It is not irritable. Not irritable. How many of you guys love that way? Practice that kind of love. Andy says the kind of love that works keeps no record of being wronged, keeps no record of wrongs. How many of you guys love like that? Huh. Doesn't keep a database of your spouse's failures. How many of you guys practice that? In other words, God's kind of love, the kind of love that makes it work, actually forgives. Is it worth it? 
Now, before I start talking about forgiveness, I need to spell out the difference between forgiveness and magnanimity, one of my favorite words. Because sometimes your spouse, your parent, your neighbor, they're going to do something that offends you that does not really require forgiveness. A whole lot of people today are just way too easily wounded. A lot of husbands and wives are too easily wounded. A lot of us are way too concerned about little slights, little offenses, microaggressions that don't need forgiveness. What we need to do is just toughen up a little. We're too hypersensitive. Jesus' followers are not supposed to be snowflakes. People are going to say something, they're going to do something that's thoughtless, maybe, stupid, maybe, even selfish, maybe, but they're not really trying to hurt you. Slights, microaggressions, thoughtless words do not usually require forgiveness. They require magnanimity. Just blow it off if you can. To be magnanimous means you have a big soul. It means that you are slow to anger. It means that you're not easily wounded. It's talking about a people who are generous with grace. Save forgiveness to wounds that actually leave a scar. But that's what we're focusing on this morning, how we respond to the bigger hurts, the kind of hurts that do require forgiveness. And the Bible says, a God kind of love, the kind of love that works, keeps no record of wrongs. Do you? A lot of us do. We say we forgive, but we keep a record and bring it out when we need it. So do you buy that? Is keeping no record of wrongs even smart? I mean, here's an article from Live Science. Why you should hold a grudge against your spouse. Why you should keep a record of wrongs. Because it's more realistic, right? And they track some research that suggests that if you don't hold grudges, your spouse will never improve, right? So you've got to weigh the benefits of forgiveness against the risks. And here's one of their quotes. They say, overall, spouses who forgave their partners were almost twice as likely to report that their partner misbehaved the next day as those who held a grudge. So sometimes grudges work, right? We rationalize. And we get that. You argue that. You buy that. It is easy for me to make a case against forgiveness. How about you? They need to learn a lesson. If I just forgive them, they won't learn a lesson. Or what they did was wrong. If I just forgive them, it's kind of like I'm condoning something that's wrong. Or I'm not just going to say words that I don't feel. Just saying the words, I forgive you, if my heart doesn't feel that, they're just words. Or if I forgive them, they're going to hurt me again. And I'm not going to let them have that kind of power over me. Because forgiveness sometimes is just hard. Too hard sometimes, it seems. Forgiveness sometimes is just not fair. It's unjust. It's wrong, we tell ourselves. So, we nurse our sores and rationalize our unforgiveness and perpetuate our feuds to avoid this forgiveness. And the unforgiveness gradually hardens our hearts unless someone is willing to break the cycle. 
Well, don't you think God knows all that? Don't you think God knows how hard forgiveness is, how unfair it is? What do you think forgiveness cost him? There's a cross up there. But he orders us to do it anyway. It's not an option. It's a mandate. It's a command. I'm going to show you three incredibly hard verses. These are terribly difficult verses. Jesus says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't, he won't. Does he actually mean that? Here it is again. Jesus says, when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against. Why? So that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like my willingness to forgive your sins against me or not has a direct bearing on my peace with God. Does that matter? One more. Here's the Apostle Paul. He says, make allowance for each other's faults, which means be magnanimous, be slow to anger, don't be a snowflake, and forgive anyone who offends you. Why? Remember that God forgave you, so you must forgive others. Hmm. Well, those look like commands to me. Which would seem to indicate this. Listen, guys, when we refuse to forgive, we're telling God that our anger is more important to us than He is. Right? Is that too strong? When we refuse to forgive, we're telling God that our anger is more important to us than He is. It means that holding a grudge against a brother, a sister, a husband, a wife, a parent, or a kid, or whoever, is more important to me than my peace with God. Listen, guys, God knows it's hard. He knows it's one of the hardest things He's ever going to tell us to do. So why does He think it's so important? Maybe because our infinitely powerful, infinitely wise, perfectly good God knows that it is the only way that sinners can do life together in a way that matters, in a way that works. Maybe because our infinitely powerful, infinitely wise, perfectly good God knows that it's the only path to growing you into the amazing creature He created you to be, imago Dei, in His image. Maybe because unforgiveness is a cancer. One guy described his unforgiveness like this. He says, if you could lick my heart, it would poison you. Which I suspect is true for a whole lot of us in this room. Hearts drip with poison. Unforgiveness creates these pockets of poison, bitterness. And if unchecked, it spreads. The deal is, it doesn't just poison the one that we are angry with. It also poisons us. Unforgiveness doesn't just wound the ones we refuse to forgive. It bleeds its toxins into us. It can kill you. And not just physically. See, our creator, our designer, our God is not trying to make our lives hard. He's trying to make it work. Because he's good. And the only way a healthy, God-honoring marriage can work is with a boatload of forgiveness. Because, guys, if you're married for any length of time, you will have more opportunities to forgive your spouse than anyone else that you're going to do life with. Do you believe that? You know why? 
Because not only does your spouse stumble and fall a lot like you do, thus requiring magnanimity, but your spouse is also really good at sinning, just like you are. So forgiveness may be one of the top ingredients for a healthy, God-honoring, life-giving marriage. And if you don't want a healthy, God-honoring, life-giving marriage, just go ahead and do it your way. Now, listen. If you've been married a year or two or maybe even a decade or two or longer, it doesn't mean that you have become good at forgiving. A whole lot of people live together for decades, sometimes till life, till death do us part, without grace, without forgiveness. They have learned how to live together without real love. They learn how to tolerate each other just enough to live under the same roof, to endure each other, but they're more like grumpy roommates than God-honoring spouses. Does it ever feel that way at your house? Like your roommates rather than mates? Guys, I think God meant for marriage, we've talked about it in this series, I think he meant for marriage to be a gymnasium for the soul where God teaches us to grow up, to live for something bigger than ourselves, to learn how to love something that is as messed up as we are, which requires that we forgive in kind of the same way we've been forgiven by God, which is hard, but it works. Now, I don't just want to challenge you to forgive. I want to talk about what forgiveness is not, and I want to talk about what forgiveness is. Because I think maybe the first step to forgiveness is understanding what it is and what it's not. Here's what it's not. Forgiveness is not a feeling. People get that so badly wrong. It's not a feeling. If you wait to forgive till you feel like forgiven, you may never forgive. You understand that? Your feelings are often your enemies. Don't trust them. Don't be driven by them. Jesus' followers do not follow their hearts because our hearts are messed up. We follow our God. We do what's right, irrespective of what we feel. Second, forgiveness is not pretending. It's not pretending that what they did wasn't wrong. It's not denying reality. In fact, you cannot really forgive someone until you understand that what they did was wrong. Forgiveness isn't about rationalizing bad behavior. It's not about condoning sin or trying to justify someone's actions by looking at how tough life must have been for them. It's not pretending. And forgiveness is not letting someone off the hook. People get that wrong a lot. You can forgive someone and still hold them accountable. Did you know that? I hope you do that with your kids. They may have to face the consequences. They may have to make things right. It's not just about letting them off the hook. And forgiveness doesn't mean that you've got to allow someone to continue walking all over the top of you. Being forgiving isn't about becoming a doormat. It's not about playing the victim. In fact, forgiveness doesn't mean you even have to trust the one who hurts you or reconcile with them. You can forgive someone and still set boundaries. In fact, you can even forgive someone that you end up divorcing. Although I sure hope that you divorce for a God-honoring reason. And this one may be the toughest. 
right here. Forgiveness is not contingent on their repentance. They do not have to apologize to you for you to forgive them. They don't even have to change for you to forgive them. Because forgiveness is not about them, it's about you. By the way, you don't always have to tell someone when you do forgive them. Sometimes telling them does more harm than good. If that mystifies you, I'm going to recommend you the book that is the best book on forgiveness I know of outside the Scriptures. Lewis Smead's The Art of Forgiving. Outside the Bible, it's my go-to book on forgiving. The Art of Forgiving, Lewis Smead's. He says forgiving is essential. Talking about it is optional. We mess it up. We've got some really messed up ideas about what forgiveness is, which makes what Jesus says feel wrong to us. So what is it really? What is forgiveness God's way? First of all, forgiveness is a choice. It's a decision. It's an act of the will. It's a hard one. But I can choose to forgive just like I choose not to forgive. Nobody can say, I just can't forgive him. That is a delusion or a lie. It's never that. It's always, I won't forgive him. Because God doesn't command something unless he gives you the ability to obey him. Do you understand that? Second, forgiveness is obedience to God. And I can't understand overstate how important this one is. It is not a suggestion. It's a command. Remember those verses that we read earlier? Jesus says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't, he won't. Right? And he says, whenever you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against. Why? So that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins. And then from the Apostle Paul, make allowance for each other's faults, magnanimity, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, here's why. The Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Which means that bottom line, if I'm not willing to forgive, what I'm saying is that my anger is more important to me than my peace with God. See, guys, forgiveness is part of what it means to call Jesus Lord, meaning it. Third, forgiveness is about letting God be God. It is not requiring that the other person answer to me. Forgiveness is about relinquishing my right to get even, leaving that to God to make things right. Because he will in his own time and in his own way. You see, guys, there are times when I have not wanted God's grace for someone. I want it for me, but I'm not always sure I want God's grace on someone who hurts me or mine. If he offends me, then he needs to face the consequences of his actions. I want justice, not grace. In fact, I may not have ever said it out loud, but I suspect I have felt this, and I suspect you have felt this. Maybe you even said it. God may forgive you, but I never will. As if my tribunal is higher than God's. You ever feel that or say that? We're such arrogant little twits. Forgiveness means I relinquish my right to get even, and I leave justice and fairness to God who will do it right. Right? 
It's risky because God may not deal with that person the way I would want him to. But bottom line, when I forgive, I give up my right to play God. And forgiveness is about accepting my responsibility for my actions and my attitudes. I no longer play the blame game. Nobody else is responsible for your attitudes. Nobody else is responsible for your actions except you. Regardless of what he or she did to me or you, we are responsible for how we respond. I cannot say, she made me mad. She made me do it. I'm responsible. And here it is, really, guys. When I refuse to forgive, I let someone else control me. They control my mind. They control my heart. I'm never free until I can hand things over to God and forgive. In fact, one guy put it like this, and this is huge. He says, when we forgive, we set a prisoner free. It's the previous slide, please. We set a prisoner free, and then we discover that the prisoner we freed was us. Last one. If the wound is deep, really deep, Forgiveness is a process, not an event. I think there's kind of a path to forgiveness when the wounds are deep. It kind of starts with, and I know this is going to sound a little strange, it starts with just wanting to want to forgive. Sometimes I don't want to forgive, but I want to do what's right. I want to do it God's way even when it's hard. That's a start. When you're hurt bad, sometimes you don't want to forgive. So maybe forgiveness starts by telling God, I just want what you want, God. At least I want to want what you want, God, because I trust you. Can you start there? Can you say that much? And then maybe you get to the point when you're not actually praying against them anymore, right? In fact, you're relinquishing your right to get even. You're not praying that God's going to smite them. You're not praying that God's going to damn them. You actually kind of let go and let God be God because He's good at it, and we're not. And if you keep walking down the forgiveness path, you can get to the point where you don't mind if they're okay, if they're happy. It doesn't bother you when they get grace from God just like you do. In fact, you may even be willing to allow God to channel some of His grace through you. Go figure. And if you finish that path, if you keep praying that God will help you forgive, you actually can get to the point where you want their best again. You can even pray that God will grace them. Guys, you may struggle with forgiveness, but you can choose God's way. You know why? Because there is a God. And He's infinitely powerful, He's infinitely wise, He's perfectly good, and He wants our best. He is the God revealed in and through Jesus. He's our creator. He's our designer. And he designed a God-honoring marriage to be a place where we protect and grow each other, to be a place where God protects and grows us. And a marriage between two sinners will not work without a boatload of forgiveness. And because when we forgive, we set a prisoner free and we discover that the prisoner that we freed was us. God wants our best. You believe that?
It's hard stuff, guys. We're going to move to a time of reflection and response because it's not enough just to hear God's words. It's about letting them transform us. Listen, guys, forgiving each other starts with getting right with God, with embracing His forgiveness of us. Do you need God's forgiveness? Let's tell Him. Bow your heads with me. Father, none of us deserve grace. That's why we call it grace. We don't deserve your favor. We don't deserve your blessings. You love us so much that you grace us anyway. And we are so grateful. And now, guys, with ruthless honesty, where do you need your partner's forgiveness? Where do you need forgiveness? Let's pray about that. Father, help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to be honest with you. And if we can't see it, we ask you to reveal to us where we need forgiveness, not just from you, but from the people that we do life with. Maybe we battle with anger. Maybe we battle with unforgiveness. Maybe we battle with self-centeredness. I don't know what it is, Lord. Pride. Help us to understand that those that we have a hard time forgiving need to forgive us too. Help us to be honest. And one more thing, guys. What is it that you need to let go of? What is it that you need to forgive? Is there bitterness? Is there unforgiveness? Is there a record of wrongs that is putting a wedge between you and the person that you promised to love? Do you realize that that thing that you refuse to forgive also puts a wedge between you and God? Let's pray about it. God, we nurse our bitterness, we nurse our grudges, we feud sometimes. And it doesn't just hurt the person that we're angry with, it hurts us. Give us the wisdom, the courage to do life your way. Because we trust you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Now, it may be that you need to chat with somebody about some unforgiveness. There's an elder back in that room. He'd be happy to pray with you during this next time that we go around the Lord's table. I'm going to sit down here. There's other staff that's close by. If you want to come and let us pray with you, we'll do that. But now we're going to go to a time of the Lord's Supper. And think about it like this. If you struggle with forgiveness, this table is about God's forgiveness of you. Is he going to ever ask you to forgive more than he has forgiven you? Is he? Is he going to ever ask you to show more grace than you have received? We're going to thank him for his grace. Jesus died for us. 
to take care of our sins. That's so important this forgiveness was to God. You can eat that piece of bread and drink that cup of juice. That's about God's grace. We drink that and we thank Him for His grace. At that table, we also honor Him in a couple of other ways. There's a box there. It's our offering box. If you're a Jesus follower in Capital City is your home, if this is your home, that's where we give our first part back to God. It's an act of worship. That's where we give our first part back to God. If you have another dollar or two that you want to drop in the generous bucket, we just use that money to love on people who are hurting, right? Let's pray. Father, for your grace to us, again, we give you thanks. And as we go to this table, help us to understand what you've done for us and be grateful. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Welcome. If you're careless, I will be 
do that. Help us to want to do that today. You guys praise God for what he has done. This life, this world around you, they need to see it. They need to see it. And if the first thing that you can do is say, I am going to try. I'm going to want to want to want to want to want to forgive the person that came to mind or is coming to mind right now. And it's hard and it will be very difficult to do that. 
And I understand that perfectly well. And God continues to say, I have forgiven you. Go and forgive other people. Will you do that today? Mm, you sound like you're ready. You got to hear a message from God's word, okay? Which has the power to change, by the way. Uh, when you hear it and you want to forgive, I know it's hard. I'm going to say that again before I ask this question. I know it's hard. But will you go and be people of forgiveness? Yeah, that's, that's a lot better. It's a lot better. All right. We're going to do another song you guys can leave if you want. But this is all about how, you know, God has done some awesome things for us. And so because he lives, we're going to face tomorrow. Okay. Bye-bye. God said he's Yeah, they called him Jesus. He came to love. He left for
Go live your best life.